0: Good morning, everybody. I mean, this is obvious, but how about that weather? Yeah, feels good, doesn't it? My goodness, it's April, right? It's April. Yeah, I'm so thankful for global warming, and I gotta find the, the good parts of everything, right? Um, As many of you know, um, also welcome to those of you that are at home. Uh, I was watching online live last week from Haiti, and it was just super cool to have that experience of being an at-home viewer. And um, I mean... I actually was like, oh, who's that in row two and three and like trying to make out the silhouettes of people. That was kind of fun for me. So I was a little bit distracted, Um, but I loved Casey's message and it was just really cool for me to sit there and enjoy that from an ocean away, literally. Um, Really beautiful. So I'm so glad that we have this and thank you guys again in the booth for all that you do to make that happen every week for us, yeah. (laughs) I love that as the summer months hit and we are going on vacations and the world is opening up, we can still have this rhythm of going to church on Sundays from wherever we are and engaging and um, being unified in spirit and in direction as we sit under um, the teaching that we have here. So really, really beautiful, really cool. Um, I did say I was in Haiti. I got to go and visit Cam, and we had some goofy pictures that we took. Um, The bananas there are really good. You guys, I don't generally like bananas, but they're vine, you know, tree ripened, and they're not in some greenhouse somewhere, so that's kind of fun. I got to help him move into an apartment um, that he's sharing, and um, you saw that on the announcements that Jason gave, or you heard it, I would say, Um, but I just want to give a shout out to Edward and Rochelle, Cam's new roommates. They are a married couple and hi guys, I miss you already and um, we love you and we're praying for you. Um, but I got to move my sweet kid into his first apartment, and those of you that are mamas, you know what that feels like, and um, for him to invite me to be a part of that was such a privilege and such a joy, and um, I mean, it's hot, it's hot there, but this little apartment he has has running water, you guys, he hasn't had running water for a couple of years, Um I mean, bucket showers—they're hard. They're really hard on the like. I can't get the soap out of my hair, and so I was like glamping in Haiti. I brought myself um, a pump, an actual pump that I put in the bucket with a hose nozzle um, sprayer, like from the kitchen sink. You guys, I've never felt so clean in Haiti. It was awesome. And Cam goes. Mom, did you use an entire five-gallon bucket? And I'm like, yes I did. <laughs> I'll go fill it up from the well that we helped drill. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> I felt no shame in going to that well. Like I own this. No. Seriously, they saw me carrying a bucket once and they were like, I, We never didn't have water in the back bathroom again. They are so hospitable there. And I was like, No, no, no I used too much water. I'm happy to get my own. But I got to do some laundry from the well as well and scrub my kids' nasty clothes. Sorry, Cam. <laughs> Those were <laughs> nasty. And so eventually they were just kind of in muddy water. And he's like, Oh, that's good enough. Because he's a bachelor, right? He's a bachelor now and he's living the dream. So um, super fun to meet for me. One of the really fun adventures I got to go on, probably some of you might scoff at me if my parents are watching. Mom, dad, I'm sorry. I rode on a motorcycle with Cam all around Haiti, no helmet, the bit of a stiff neck because one of the drivers was wearing a helmet. And so to get close enough that we could all balance together, three of us on a tiny little mopedi type uh, motorcycle, um, and he was super safe with his helmet. I didn't have one. I had to like go like this and hold my head back for like the 45-minute trip. And um, so it was a great workout for me, and I'm a little stiff, <laughs> but it was invigorating. And so uh, this next picture, you kind of see the wind in our. Oh, there's Cam. Did you show us Seattle be- bed blankie. Yeah, there's his room. Isn't that just? full? Mm. Oh, I love you, Cam. I miss you. All right, motorcycle hair. There we are. I managed to take a selfie, and so Cam said when he rides around on the back of this motorcycle, he doesn't get a lot of comments, but. Two white people on a motorcycle. I know the word for white in Haiti, and it's blanc. and there was a lot of that going on down the streets. And so Cam interpreted for me one day, and um, I'm like, oh, they're talking a lot about white people. And he goes, yeah, they said, look at those two white people trying to be Haitians. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, sticking out like a sore thumb, Uh, there's that. Uh, What's the next picture? So I got to explore some projects for us to partner with Ebenezer in the future. And um, I am so excited for what is coming next. Um, We are hoping to partner with Ebenezer to help this community. They've kind of um, come together. And they're dreaming on behalf of their community of La Pierre, which is just outside of Gonaives. And their dream is to have some fishing boats they have them but they don't have motors on them which means they can't get out to sea and they can't fish the d- or yeah fish in the deeper waters for the better fish and so this will change their lives a little bit to have motors on their boats. And then their next dream is to take that beachfront that they own the rights to and turn it into not a resort, but a place where people can go and enjoy, and mostly white people, because the Haitians don't really hang out at the ocean. Um, And so I'm hoping and dreaming that someday some of us will get to dip our toes in the ocean right there. It's beautiful, the things that they're dreaming of for their community are beautiful, and I love that we get to come alongside of them and help them step forward in their dreams and not make it happen for them, but make those small things possible for them that wouldn't be without a little bit of seed money to start it. And so we will talk more about that later, but I just kind of want to give you a snap glimpse into um, what we're dreaming about. I don't know when we're going to do it. We'll talk about that. I just got home yesterday. so. <laughs> All in good time. Um, what's the next one? Oh, we're done. Cool. Okay, I'm going to stop talking about Haiti and now I'm going to throw out a huge thank you because I got home from my trip and I looked at our sign up and it's filled. Like, absolutely completed. And so, for those of you at home that have brought things in during the week as well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited again to go to Cedar Way um, and then also to make those deliveries to Vision House on behalf of you guys. And thank you for loving people well. Thank you for that breath of fresh air that I get now where I don't have to figure out, oh, what do we need to do and who who needs to go shopping? Um, What a sweet gift to come home to. I love you guys and I love the way you love other people. Um, We have a baptism coming up. See how it says May 9th or 16th? We're not sure what might work for people. We know that the 9th is Mother's Day, but if Brooklyn and Ashley are the only ones that are thinking of getting baptized, I'm okay doing that on Mama's Day. Oh, so do you have a date? Oh, <gasps> Three people. Three people. Not the entire. It feels like the entire five of them, but we're only going to commit three of them this morning. Uh, work on that, though, Stacy. Let me know. <laughs> Nothing like a call out. <laughs> okay. Hard no. All right. All right. I get it. I get it. Um, really cool. That is always a choice that you get to make. And um, So have we landed on a date, you guys? The 9th, okay, woo look at us, settling things here. It's been a great work morning so far. Um, <laughs> okay, May 9th, if there's anyone else that would like to be baptized, you will not be the only one, and we would love to have you sign up. The way that you do that is by going to your online communication card at brookviewchurch.com forward slash contact, and it'll have a box for you to click, and we will get back to you. You can also text the word baptism to that number, and Jason will reach out to you this week and just kind of get you all the information that you might need. Now, filling out that online communication card or texting that number doesn't commit you to doing it, and we'd love to get you information if you're just interested and you have questions as well. So, um, I did mention that online communication card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Um, we love hearing from you. We love praying for you um, and just seeing seeing that you're here. Um, also, we have the ability to RSVP for church every week, and we're still doing that um, in this phase where we are at a limited capacity. Um, we're certainly not full, but we want to be mindful of the governor's orders and be gathering people in a safe way. So um, you can RSVP for church by going to brickviewchurch.com, forward slash church. True? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that's all that I have for you. And I can't wait to hear you bring it, honey.
1: My aunt, there we go. Well, you guys, good morning. 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 There is, does it, do you feel it? There is life in the air. I mean, the leaves are coming back to the trees. The weather is spectacular. And yesterday, the M's were in first place. They are not anymore. But still, you guys, there is new life in the air, new hope. And so, to begin today, I actually want us to think back over a year to pre-COVID life. Okay, go back with me. Just rewind. Um, I have heard probably thousands of times over the past year stuff like this. I I just want things to go back to normal. I I just want to get my old life back. I mean, almost all of us have thought or said this stuff, right? Yes, yes. And now, the world seems to be moving more and more toward normalcy. And I don't have a magic ball. I don't know anything for sure, but things seem to be moving toward opening up. And so, my question is, do you want things to go back to just the way they were? Or has this, like, long life pause enabled you to hit a bit of a reset button? So, like, do you want to go back to the same schedule and the same routine that you had before covid and i want to begin by asking you today just sort of remember the good old days what was that like and i want you to picture your life before all of this craziness and just think about this what was your schedule like was it peaceful and manageable Okay, um, you know, uh, what, was it something that enabled you to flourish and grow? Okay, how was your marriage before COVID, those of you that are married? What, like, were you deeply connected to your spouse? you want to go back to that? How, how was your relationship with your kids? Was your life filled with rich, meaningful relationships with friends and family and neighbors and so on? What what did your walk with Jesus look like? Do you want to go back to the way that looked? What was your fatigue lo- level? Like were your rhythms, daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms were they healthy? Do, like what do you what do you want to reinstate? And there's probably a lot, but what would you like to be different? The truth is over a year ago our our rhythms just came to a screeching halt. And now we seem to be heading into a season where we can rebuild. So over the next five weeks, today and the four following, I want us to be very intentional about it. Like if you can begin adding stuff to your life and to your schedule, what do you want to add? But also, what do you not want to add? And before we decide on any of the particulars, I think it's really helpful to think big picture. So today, I want to just start with the most basic question, and it's this. What do you want? Like, what do you really want? If you're going to rebuild your life, then rebuild toward what? What do you want? Now, it seems really simple, but in reality, this is actually a very tricky question, because we've all gotten at some point what we were sure we wanted, and then later discovered it wasn't what we wanted at all. In fact, some of you got a who you really wanted and then later realized, whoa, that's not who I wanted at all, (laughs) right? Some of you got a job you really wanted. Some of you got a car you really wanted or the house you really wanted, but then like six months in or 18 months in and several mortgage payments in, you realize, oh, whoa, this isn't what I want at all. So this what do I want question is tricky. So here's, here's a more helpful question. More helpful question is, what do you value? Because lurking in the shadows of what you want is what you value. And they are related in a way, but they are definitely not the same thing. What you want and what you value can actually differ quite a bit. In fact, they can at times be at odds with each other. I mean, if you think about it, what we, want, uh, what we naturally want is often in conflict with what we ultimately value. That's why after doing things that we, we wanted, sometimes we think, you idiot, why did you, why did you do that, right? You idiot, why did you eat that? <laughs> you, you idiot, why did you sleep in? You idiot, why did you call her? Why did you say yes to that? Why did you, you idiot, why did you do that thing you do again? What we, na- what we want naturally is often in conflict with the thing that we value ultimately. And what makes this battle especially tough is this. What we want naturally is usually right in our face. While what we ultimately, what we want ultimately kind of hides and lurks in the shadows. So for us to really hone in on what we value, there's like, if this is, if this is important, there's all kinds of approaches we could take. Um, but years ago, I came across something that I thought was awesome, and it's in a very famous book that many of you have read. It comes from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Uh, how many of you guys have read that, or at least browsed it? You guys, it, it is so good. Is it, it, was originally, okay, it was written in 1989, and now it's like, it's everywhere, uh, get this, at Columbia Elementary School, okay, uh, where all of my kids went, public elementary school, their entire system, like, philosophical system is built around the seven habits. Like, all the, all the kids in the entire school could recite for you the seven habits. And so the teachers are constantly having the kids think and process, like, okay, how does what we're doing, or how does what you're doing, how does all of this fit together, with the seven habits. And they process that, and they talk about it. So we were, we were actually talking about this a few years ago, and I found out that when Cameron was in elementary school, okay, he's 20 now, right? But when Cameron was at Columbia, they invited some students together to have a think tank. And they had them come together to create a little song to help all of the children remember the seven habits. Okay, so... When Brooklyn went through school, and she's six years behind Cam, she actually learned that song that Cam helped create, right, to remember the seven habits. And so here's the cool thing. If you grab Brooklyn and you invite her to tell you the seven habits, she will not tell you the seven habits. (laughs) She will sing you the seven habits. And uh, so Cam and the kids, back in his days, they set the song to the tune of, if you're happy and you know it, and it's got hand motions and everything, and you guys, it is, it's pretty amazing. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Brooklyn. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, no, come down, come forth, you got to come up here. Yeah. All right little encouragement from the people Come on girl All right now <clears throat> Okay take your take take your mask off Okay <laughs> She had no idea that this was happening <laughs> Okay let's get us back at the right spot Okay and by the way Uh, She said, here's the cool thing, there's some hand motions and things with this, like one of the seven habits is to synergize, right? And so they have this movement for synergize, I think it should just synergize, right? And she's like, that that, that seems kind of lame, until you're in an all-school assembly with 400 kids, and they're singing the song, and they all synergize together. All right, here we go, let's count down, three, two, one...
0: Be proactive, think win-win, first things first, synergize. Be proactive, think win-win, first things first, synergize. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Begin with the end in mind, sharpen the saw, sharpen the saw. (laughs) That's so good.
1: (laughs) Good job. So good, and by the way, Cam. awesome, yeah, he's singing along, he wanted to play it on guitar, can sing harmony. All right, okay, so back to our question, that was a little aside. How, how do you discover what you really value? Well, okay, so habit number two from the seven habits of highly effective people is this, Begin with the end in mind, right? And, and most of us have heard this. We know this. Th- this is really, really good advice. Now, Stephen Covey starts the chapter on that with an invitation to try something. And he writes this. He says, please find a place to read these next few pages where you can be alone and uninterrupted. Clear your mind of everything except what you will read and what I invite you to do. Don't worry about your schedule, your business, your family, or your friends. Just focus with me and really open your, open your mind. So he says, in your mind's eye, okay, so here's what I want to invite you guys to do is close your eyes, just close your eyes and try to visualize this, okay? In your mind's eye, see yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself driving to the funeral parlor or chapel, parking the car, and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing, the joy of having known that radiates from the hearts of the people there. As you walk to the front of the room and look inside the casket, you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral three years from today. All these people have come to honor you, to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. As you take a seat and wait for the services to begin, you look at the program in your hand. There are to be four speakers. The first is from your family, immediate and also extended. Children, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents who have come from all over the country to attend. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of what you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession, and the fourth is from your church or some community organization where you've been involved in service. Now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband, wife, father, or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you want them to remember? Look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? And he says, Before you read further, Take a few minutes to jot down your impressions. It will greatly increase your personal understanding of habit number two. Okay, you can open your eyes. You guys know I, I like to read, uh, I, and I read a lot. I read a lot of books. And so, a little confession. Whenever I get to the part of a book where they say, okay, we want you to, now we want you to stop reading and get a pen and a notebook and do a reflective exercise, I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not doing that. Right? Because, okay, let's see if you're with me on this. The goal of reading a book is to what? Finish the book. Right? It, it's not about learning anything or reflecting on my life. I just want to be able to say, oh, yeah, I read that book. In fact, at times I'm like, you know what? I, I actually read that book years ago. Are you just discovering it? Okay, but so after this suggestion, I, 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 I decided to actually write some stuff out, and one was what I would want my kids to say about me. So I did this four years ago, and I actually shared it in a message. Some of you might even remember that. Uh, at the time, Brooke was 10, Cam was 16, and Kate was 17, and today I, wanna, I just want to read you guys that again, and this is just sort of interesting to reflect back on because back then I was writing it for three years into the future, and we're now four years into the future from when I wrote it. And so as I reread this this week, uh, it really hit me, and I was like, wow, okay, that's, that's interesting. Um, and now I will also say this is super, super personal, and so I hope it doesn't get all weird for you. Um, and I also want to be clear about something. This is not necessarily what I think my kids would say, okay? Uh, This is what I would want them to say. Um, This is not the kind of dad that I think I am. This is the kind of dad that I I want to be. This is not reality in my mind. This is the target. This is the goal. Do you guys see the difference? Are you with me on this? Okay. So uh, if I were to die three years from now, written four years ago, Uh, And if one of my kids were to get up at my memorial and talk about me, as I think about the kind of dad I want to be, here's the kind of stuff I decided I'd want them to say. So here we go. My dad. What in the world can I say about my dad? Well, he was incredibly good-looking, but you all already knew that. (laughs) What can I tell you about my dad that you had to live with him to know. Here's what was special to me about my dad. I knew that my dad loved me. I knew that whatever was going on in my life, around me, inside me, I knew that whatever was going on in my life, my dad was rooting for me. He wanted the best for me. My dad had a vision for what I could be. He he always saw beautiful things in me. He believed in me. And there were times when his belief in me was the fuel I needed to push through hard stuff. My dad helped me become a better version of myself. And my dad was deeply authentic. Who my dad was when we were alone at home at night when we'd all let our guard down, it was the same person he was in public. When over the years I'd hear him preach and talk about how life should be lived, I saw him doing his best to actually live that way. He didn't pretend to be somebody he wasn't. He was true, he was real, he was authentic. And my dad was transparent. He didn't hold me off at arm's length. He wasn't the silent, private-type guy. I always felt like I had access to him, to his heart. If he was disappointed, I knew it. If he was frustrated, I knew it. If he was excited, I knew it. If he was scared or sad or nervous, we all knew it. He didn't hide his heart from me or from our family. We had access to him. He was transparent. And so when he'd say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, which, because he was transparent, happened more than he would have liked, in equally transparent fashion, he would ask forgiveness and admit being wrong. It made me feel like I didn't have to be perfect. I just needed to be honest. My dad helped me to become a transparent person myself. My dad helped me understand what it takes to actually connect with people. In his transparency, he showed me the way. And my dad loved my mom. I never feared that he was mistreating her. I always felt safe knowing that my mom and dad were an inseparable team. Stop it. <clears throat> They had each other's backs, that they'd fight for each other. If I was frustrated with mom, dad would help me see things from her perspective. As deeply as I knew he loved me, I knew just as deeply how, how, I, I knew just as much how deep his love was for mom. Even when they disagreed and bickered, which they did in front of us, I guess it was part of the whole being transparent thing. When they bickered and got frustrated with each other, I always knew it would eventually get resolved that he and mom would never give up on each other. And there were some tough times over the years, high-stress times, times where they didn't see eye to eye, but they found a way to work through it and still honor each other. My dad showed me what it actually looks like to honor a vow to love another person until death do us part. And someday when I'm married, I will always remember what loving a spouse looks like. I saw that my whole life, in my dad. I guess in the end, I can wrap up with this. I've learned to be a better human being because of knowing my dad. I'm better at loving, being transparent, showing grace, and being patient and kind because of my dad. My dad influenced my life in ways that I will always be thankful for. His influence will help me be a better spouse, a better parent, a better friend. Okay, you guys, Doing this exercise for me was super eye-opening, actually. Um, And after asking the reader to do this exercise, Covey writes this. He says, if you participated seriously in this visualization experience, you touched for a moment some of your deep fundamental values. And in doing this exercise, here's some of what became kind of obvious to me that my, my definition of success had very little to do with achievement. It's not ultimately about being super skilled or super talented. It's, it's not ultimately about impressive achievements. It's not ultimately about having great pecs and a fabulous butt. <laughs> and while there are things that I value, uh, those among, you know, among them a little, I discovered there are other things that I value more. So really, in the end what it comes down to for me is this. Like, I want to be a certain kind of person, and I, and I want to have a certain kind of character, and I want to connect with and love and impact those closest to me. In fact, it became obvious to me that impressing people I don't know is really not what matters most to me. What became uber clear is, is this. I want those closest to me to be the ones that respect me most. And it's interesting in my mind when people got up to talk about me, you know, nobody mentioned how well I dressed or how in shape I was, nobody mentioned what I drove or how nice my house was. Nobody even mentioned my sermons, you guys. Yeah, whoa. What 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 people talked about was how I made them feel and and my influence on them. Um and, and so what it ultimately comes down to for me, I guess, is, um, and by the way, a few people did talk about this church, uh, what it's meant to them, because that's a huge part of my life, so that would be in there for sure if I was drawing all this up in imaginary land. Uh, but but most, mostly, it was just, as I envisioned this stuff, it's mostly about connections with people, about my character and my impact. And so if that is truly the case, if that's really where I want this whole thing to go, then maybe I ought to like plan my life and schedule my life and organize my life around that being the end of it, about that being where this whole thing is going. And here's what I would say. To get what you really want, you must discover what you really value. And here's, here's why this is so critical. Every single day, you make thousands of choices. Do I want to do this or that? How will I spend my time? What will I give my resources to? My time, my money, my my talent? Every day, you have to make countless choices. In fact, you guys, if you're sitting here, right, you had to make a decision about that. You had to decide whether or not to get up this morning, and then of all the things you could have done in this weather, You made the decision to come here or to watch live. For those of you that are watching live right now, you made the decision to watch live when it's like 70 degrees outside and you could watch later. Uh, That's impressive. Um, And in that moment, in in that moment of decision, you were prioritizing values. Now, we, we do this all the time. And so Stephen Covey writes this. He says, To begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. It means to know where you're going so that you better understand where you are now and so that the steps you take are always in the right direction. It's incredibly easy to get caught up in an activity trap, in the busyness of life, to work harder and harder at climbing the ladder, only to discover that it's leaning against the wrong wall. People find themselves achieving victories that are empty, successes that have come at the expense of things they suddenly realize were far more valuable to them, and they find that their drive to achieve their goal blinded them to the things that really mattered most and are now gone. If the ladder isn't leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. So if you can figure out what is truly important to you, and you can live with that picture held in your mind in like 4K high definition, then that clarity makes your daily decisions so much more simple. Stephen Covey concludes this. He says, if you carefully considered what you wanted to be said of you in the funeral exercise, you will find your definition of success. It may be very different than the definition you thought you had in mind. Perhaps fame, achievement, money, or some of the other things we strive for are not even part of the right wall. Now, guys, you, you better figure out what, your, what wall your, your ladder is leaning on. Because you don't want to get down the road years later and find out, whoops, this isn't actually the road that I wanted to go down at all. It's really worthwhile to take time to figure out what is it that is really most important to me. What is it that's most important? There are many things that are important. What is most important? Okay, now, take a deep breath. How are we doing? Okay. Because I am a follower of Jesus, and many of us in this room are, we have to take this a step further, right? Right? Because up to this point, none of this is unique to followers of Jesus. In fact, some of you in the room, you might be thinking, "What are you, Tony Robbins? <laughs> like a really nice motivational speech, Pastor? Are we going to like look at the Bible and think about Jesus?" Because everything that I've said so far is, it's just true of anybody. It's not a Christian thing. It's just a think thing. And so, regardless of your faith background, it, that's just this is a good thing to think about. Okay but let's think about it from a Christian perspective. Where is God in this? How does any of this really connect to Jesus? And I wanna say that if if you're here or you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus at this point, then what we are about to talk about next, like the Christian part, might turn out to be the most interesting thing about today's message to you. For followers of Jesus, right, it has to go beyond the initial question of what do I really want, or even what do I really value. Like for us, the ultimate question has to be, well, what does God really want, right? Or to make this a bit more personal, what what does God really want for us? Now, for some of you, this feels like a very uncomfortable question, because you are concerned, that you are at odds with God over what you want and what you are pretty sure he wants for you. And we just sort of assume that the question goes like this. What does God really want from us? What does God want from me? Right? What does God really want from us? The the idea is that God is is demanding something of us, something that we may not uh, be able to live up to or something we may not want to live up to but it's in our mind it's all about living up to something well if you know will i do it well enough for god to be satisfied and so i want to talk about this feeling that is so common for a minute because it's a really big deal when jesus taught us about the heart and the nature of god so the way that we should picture god or envision god what was the metaphor that jesus used most often a father in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our, our Father in heaven. Now, if we can get our minds, like truly get our minds around that image, it actually changes everything. So let go of the image of a cold, dissatisfied God. This angry, impossible to please God. And instead, you just envision a Father who like actually loves you. Who is for you. And some of you are like, oh, it's hard for me to imagine because I didn't have a human father like that. Well, even if your human father was a far cry from this, you guys have seen examples of this. There are good men in the world, right? You have seen examples of this. You have. So envision it. A loving father. And then think about this question. What does a truly good parent want from their children? And the answer to that, you guys, is... Nothing, nothing, nothing that isn't a product of our fallen and damaged egos. What does a really good parent want from their children? Nothing. Good parents want stuff for their children. Parenting for takes priority over parenting from. Now, let's think about this. Some of you are like, are you sure? Yes, I am. Let's think about this. When we see a a parent trying to withdraw from their kids, right? They have a child and they're trying to extract something from their kids. Um, Like for their egos or, or trying to use their kids to somehow make themselves feel whole as a person. When we see that, when you actually see that, that does not feel healthy to us. We look at that and we think, we're like, whoa, there is something really wrong with that. Uh, A couple of examples. I I remember a a girl in high school that I knew that wanted a baby. We're like, great. Yeah, she wanted a baby. But not like when she was an adult one day, right, like as a sophomore, like as a 16-year-old. And here's here's why. She said, I just want a little person to love me. I, I just want chubby little arms to squeeze me and hold me, someone to always be around that loves me. Now, we look at that, right? Come on. I mean, if you're an adult and you look at that, you hear a 16-year-old girl say that, you're like, oh, sweetheart. (laughs) Um, That is not what being a parent is all about. And if you have some psychological need and you think that having a child and trying to get that child to fill your need is the answer, this is going to be an absolute disaster. Here's another context where I've seen this go just absolutely haywire. My kids have, have played a ton of sports over the years. And um, you see this kind, of, this kind of parenting all the time at, on the athletic fields and, and, and courts and stuff. Now, there, there are parents, right, that are cheering for their kids. They're rooting for them, right? And it's good. It's healthy. We're like, that's great. They show up. They cheer for their kids. Wonderful. But then there are parents, and it's, for, it's usually dads, that are more than rooting for their kids, right? They are living through their kids. Their kids' success or their kids' failure is somehow like their own. And so they expect their kids to perform at an impossible level, and they are so critical. And when their kids are not playing up to their expectation, which is virtually all the time, they don't hurt for their kids. They get irate with their kids. They start yelling, and they start screaming, and you guys, I, I know you have too. I have seen some stuff that would turn your stomach. Um, I remember a few years ago, Cam was in eighth grade playing basketball, and there was a kid on an opposing team that Cam's team played all the time. It was They were kind of in the same circles and we played them all the time. And this kid's dad was unbelievable. Um, this team happened to be from Lake Stevens. I don't know what goes on up there. The, the, <laughs> this dad was unbelievable. He would be screaming at the refs. He would be screaming at his son's teammates as if he had to right to just berate other people's children. Uh, and, and most of all, most of the time, he would be screaming at his son. And you guys, it, like, it bordered on psychotic, really. So one day, we're in the stands at the gym, and we're waiting for our game. Cam's team was going to play next and things were kind of running behind and so our kids and our parents are in the bleachers and and we're and we're waiting but the kid with the dad was playing in the game before us and you guys I will I will never never forget what happened that day This dad, he's yelling and he's screaming like always. I mean, it's just like every time. It's just relentless. Top of his lungs. And I mean this, this poor kid, right? And eighth grade boy. And there's, there's a foul, okay? So the game gets paused for two free throws. And the gym gets silent except for this psychotic dad. And like normal, he's not happy with how his kid is playing. And so they get all set up for the first shot and, and, and you know, it, it, it's the only sound in the gym, like the only thing that's happening is like the shooter bouncing the ball before he shoots his free throws. But you can actually barely hit the ball, hear the ball, hit the court because this dad because of this dad's just relentless, angry screams at his son. And they're just like echoing off the, the gym walls. And this poor kid, he's standing, uh, you know, around the free-throw line area, just trying to block it all out. And you you see him like... because it's a free throw, it's like he's just standing naked out there. I mean, there's other teams and other parents and his, I mean, they're all sitting in there. And you'd think that some responsible adult like a pastor of a church would go over and say, dude, knock it off. But we're all just stunned. He's just undressing his kid right there. And his shoulders, he's trying to block it all out. So the first free throw goes up. And in between free throws, He motions to the ref, and he says, um, hey, can you give me a second? And the ref is like, I've been reffing for years, and never are sitting like this. You know, like, yeah, whatever you need to do. So the ref says, sure, and he holds his hand up. And This eighth-grade boy walks over to the stands. He looks up at his dad in the stands, and in front of the whole gym and all the spectators and all of that, it's total silence. And he says, Dad. And he just he's like, Dad, I need you to shut up. I need you to shut up. And people are starting to cheer. <laughs> you know, because now we're brave. <laughs> All right? I need you to shut up. Just shut up. I need you to stop. Just stop. For once in your life, stop. And his dad... Just huffs, stands up, stomps out of the gym in disgust. Guys, that is a dad that isn't wanting good things for his son. He's wanting something from his son. And I bet in in various contexts in your own life and in the life of those you love, you've seen the difference. And we've all seen parents that want stuff from their kids. But here's the thing. If you, if you envision God like that, it will wreck you. It will wreck you. You go, well, no, you know, I have that. You, know, like you can be religious. You can do religious activities. You can go to church. You can do the religious. You can do the religious, but you will not have intimacy with a father that you envision like that. You just won't. But when you recognize that actually he loves you, that he adores you, and that everything that he wants, he wants for you because he's for you, I'm telling you, you guys, that can change everything. It is a really, really big deal. Okay, so here's the good news. And if you, if you miss everything else, okay, if you're like tuned out or whatever, tune in. Do not miss this. Your heavenly Father wants good stuff for you, not from you. But what happens is we just sort of assume that there's this competing agenda, that what I want and what God wants are mostly at odds, so I can't really do the whole God thing. Or I'm going to do the religious thing but not take this thing too far. Now, I will say this. Okay, in all fairness, some of you are like, in all fairness, what you often want naturally and what God wants may be at odds. But we've already discovered, can we just be honest? Most of the time, what you want naturally is at odds with what you want ultimately. You're already at odds with yourself. In fact, if you decided to go through the whole eulogy exercise, here's what you might discover. You might discover that you are way closer to wanting what God wants for you than you ever imagined. See, like the eulogy exercise not only gets you closer to what it is that you really want, it actually hints at what you were created for. And so here's a good question. What does God want for you? Like, is there a way to know that? Well, the reality is it's woven all through the teachings of Jesus. But the cool thing is it's summarized really succinctly, I think, by the Apostle Paul. Paul lays out beautifully in a letter that he wrote to the followers of Jesus in Galatia. And what do we call that letter? Galatians. And he uses some different metaphors. He talks about the flesh He he talks about that part of us that just sort of wants to do whatever it wants to do. That part of us that just wants to do whatever comes natural. And he contrasts that part of us to what he calls the Spirit. The part of us that's been made in the image of God that when the Spirit fills us, it activates and, and, and leads us. So Paul says, through the Spirit, God is up to something beautiful if we're willing. And here's what he writes. He writes... For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. We go, well, wait. So God is trying to limit me then. Well, not so fast. It's more like trying to protect you. Trying to give you something better. The the dark base side of human nature is what Paul calls the flesh. And he says, if you just like live by the flesh, you just give yourself over to the flesh like unrestrained. You just do whatever you naturally want. It is going to get real, real ugly, real fast. And so he reflects on the kind of stuff that flows out of a life controlled by the flesh. And he throws out several random things that you might see. So he says, here's what he says. He says, it is obvious what kind of life de- develops out of trying to get your own way, living by the flesh all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion. Parano- paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. Competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on, Paul says. He's like, you get it. I'll stop there before we're all depressed, right? And Paul says that the byproducts of the flesh are obvious. In other words, when we just do whatever it is we feel like doing, whenever it is we feel like doing it, things can get ugly. And he lists off all this unhealthy stuff that, can just, that will just naturally flow out of it. But then he turns right around, and in contrast to that kind of life, the life of the flesh... Here's, he says, what God is trying to do inside us. This is what God is trying to do for us. This is what God is trying to give to us. If we let the Spirit of God lead us and shape us and and form us, here's the kind of stuff that will happen. And This is a very famous passage. Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What does God want for you? He wants this stuff. He wants you to be filled with love and joy and peace. He wants you to be able to exercise patience. He wants you to be filled with more and more kindness. He wants to fill you with goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. He wants to develop self-control inside of you. The stuff that you tend to say yes to that damages you and damages those around you. you. He wants to give you the power to say no to that. This is the stuff he wants for you. And you know, Jesus would walk around, right? And he would extend the same invitation to people over and over. He would meet people and he would just extend a very simple invitation. He would just say two words. What were they? Follow me. And you have to imagine people are like, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to do it all just right. Well, don't worry about that. Just follow me. Just take the next step. Okay, yeah, but... If I follow you, Jesus, where are we going? And you know what Jesus would say? You know what I think he would say? I think Jesus would say, okay, I'll tell you. Here's where we're going. We're going to love and joy and peace. We're going to patience and kindness and goodness. We are going to faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You guys, you know where your heavenly Father wants you to go? There, there. He wants to take you there. And you know what else? That's where you want to go. It is. And here's how I know. Here's how I know. Because even if you're sitting here thinking, or you're watching online, and you're thinking, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, love, joy, peace. That all seems kind of meh. (laughs) I don't know, man. I just want a new truck. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go to Jamaica for a week. You value those things. You do. And and here's here's how I know that you value the fruit. Because you want the people around you to be characterized by those things. You you want your son's future wife to be characterized by those things. You, 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 uh, You want your daughter's husband to be characterized by those things. You want your boss and you want your coworkers to be characterized by that stuff. You want your neighbors to be characterized by that stuff. So back to our question, okay, what do you want? Well, if you keep digging into this question and you get behind all the immediate stuff, behind, you know, the stuff that springs to mind, a car and a house and a vacation, and behind the girl or the guy or or all the attention you're hoping people will pay to you, if you keep digging, you get to things like meaning and significance and legacy. And it's there that you begin to find yourself face-to-face With the will of your heavenly father for you. I was thinking about the funeral exercise. Like, what a powerful thing. And I was thinking, man, like, I need the fruits of the spirit more and more and more in my life. I'll take as much of that as I can get. Because to do any of the stuff that I dream with my kids really, really well, I need the spirit of God active in me and waking up parts of me that are sleeping. Like this is my one and only life, and, and I, you guys, I can so easily waste it, and I do it. I do it all the time. But I don't want my life to be characterized by what Paul said. You know, Again, here's the list: a, a, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. I could do without that. <laughs> Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. You ever been there? Paranoid loneliness. What a prison. All-consuming, yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. A vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. You ever lived in a parody of community? See, I want my life to be characterized by deep connections. I want my life as much as possible to impact those around me for good. I want those who know me best to be the ones that respect me most. But I actually need the Spirit of God unleashed in me for any of that. I want to organize my life around rhythms that produce Spirit-filled living. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next five weeks. And some of you are like, well, give me, you know, give me... Something tangible I can go do this week. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> None of this applies to my life. Yes, it does. It does, and we're going to get there, but I want to start big picture. And to close today, I, I just want to I just want to read the words of Jesus over you on the night of his death, his arrest we had He had one final time with the disciples, right? He has the Last Supper. And and then he has this incredible conversation with them that takes up several chapters in the Gospel of John. And what he said is so rich with meaning. But what I I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads as I just read some of his words over you. Jesus says, Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in His love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you.